This is episode 63 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 63 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Sandy McKay on the show and it was an absolutely awesome interview uh, that Sandy gave. For those of you who aren't familiar with Sandy, he is the co-founder of the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast here in Canada. He's the OG for Canadian podcasting. And I had a chance today to ask him the questions that don't often get asked because Sandy doesn't really often open up and, and talk about his story and he really should. Uh, he told the story of how he's acquired uh, 200 units to date. He has his own construction company, his own uh, real estate team, as well as his own property management company. And uh, he's done all of this in the span of, uh, I think he said about eight years. So he went from just being a guy talking about real estate to a guy that had wholesaled real estate, uh, teamed up with uh, with his now wife and bought many, many properties and grown it into a very substantial business. So it was a very interesting interview. And I really did enjoy learning more about Sandy and how he's conducted his business. One thing that came through really clear is that he's got an excellent mindset. What we got into in today's episode is talking about not only the mindset that you need to have to be successful, but how you need to be looking at situations to find opportunity in them. Of course, we know we're in lockdown mode right now. We are watching our market patiently uh, to figure out when we're going to be able to resume our economy. And uh, for those of you who've been following, you know, I've had a few thoughts on that. Uh, I really do uh, believe and nothing has really changed there. And of course, this is my opinion that we really can't afford to stay shut down any longer. Uh, there's a lot of businesses that are really being impacted by this. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to probably talk on the next episode, just a basic economics lesson and kind of getting into some details as to why we need to resume and how the basic fundamentals of, of economics work. Because I know not everybody's familiar with that. And I feel like if I, if I go through that, it'll probably help, um, you know, bring us all onto the same page so that more of you can have an educated opinion on it if you're not already familiar and give you an opportunity to speak out and help be a part of this solution. Um, so we've, we've had some good news this week. Uh, for those of you who weren't aware, Reuters published an article uh, based on the research done at the University of Southern California, and they they basically found through their findings that they estimate 40 times more people have antibodies to this virus than have actually been confirmed cases. And uh, I worked the numbers backwards on that. Uh, and what I came up with based on the deaths as of the 21st of April was that the death rate on this virus is actually only 0.17% as of that date and the information provided based on the findings of that study and suggesting that 40 times more people actually have antibodies to it. So basically what that means is we're dealing with something that is no more deadly than the flu. In fact, it actually shows as less deadly according to that, that research. And I'm not saying that's 100% correct. Obviously, more research needs to be done. But that is a promising sign. Of course, we know this virus is still uh, spreading uh, fairly aggressively. But there's a number of factors to consider then there too. I think that that's promising. I think that that shows that there's a lot of promise for us if we do start to gradually resume our society. And I really do believe that that's what we need to do. We see our neighbors to the south doing that right now obviously we'll all be watching and, and hoping for the very best uh, so that we can get this show back on the road and preserve uh, what's so very important here in our society which is our our culture our small businesses and of course our sovereignty and our ability to to continue to buy uh, because we preserve the buying power of our our canadian dollar so uh, my little rant for today of course these are just my opinions guys as always you know i, I do have several resources that uh, i'd be happy to uh, to point out if people uh, want to learn more of course i'm always happy to uh, to 
spitball a little bit if you want to shoot me a message uh depending on how many i get it might be a little delayed in get, getting back to you but uh um, i want to be part of the solution hopefully you do too um, and hopefully we can resume and, and see opportunities in our real estate market and continue on in our business but without further ado here is episode 63 with sandy mckay hello and welcome to the andrew hines real estate investing podcast i've got sandy mckay a legendary podcast host here in uh in canada He's on the show. Sandy, thanks for uh, for doing this with me. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Happy to be here. Yeah, I, uh, I'm breaking my rule right now and doing an over-the-internet podcast because of uh, because of the virus. So I think we're both in quarantine. Yeah, is this your first one uh, not not live in studio? I did a couple uh, early on, and then I uh, I just did one a few episodes ago. But yeah, this is this is not something I regularly do, just because obviously you get better better sound quality if you do it in person. But uh, that's not always possible, obviously. So, anyways, I'm glad uh, glad that we could set this up. So, Sandy, for the people who aren't familiar with you, uh, somehow. Uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving us a little bit of a rundown on what you have done as an investor, as a podcast host, and your your journey in real estate, I'd love to hear it. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess we go back, uh, would be maybe eight, nine years ago now that we really got uh, into this world of uh, real estate investing. <clears throat> well, we started our podcast, uh, Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, uh, six years ago, a little over six years ago. So it's been around quite a while. One of the first ones for uh, Canadian investing. Um, in that space and uh, obviously help to hopefully inspire some others to do some great shows like yourself and, and others. So um, that's been that's been a journey in its own, doing the show. And then uh, we've, aside from that, we've also uh, kind of uh, right around the time I started that show, a little bit after, got my real estate license, was convinced to get my real estate license after we had been uh, doing a little bit of wholesaling real estate and some creative uh, investing strategies that... Um, that is, are still working. They're still great. Uh, there, there's some very unique challenges with that in Canada. I think that uh, that make it a little more difficult in the U.S. wholesaling specifically, but definitely still possible and still still doable. And uh, so we did a bunch of those deals. Got convinced by another realtor to get my real estate license. And uh, at that point, we were just kind of looking at Hamilton as a area to uh, invest in as well. I'm not originally from Hamilton, although I live here now and have been here for. Uh, Probably close to five years now. Where are you from? A little, a little over five years now, actually. Uh, grew up in Newmarket area. Okay. Uh, so it's north of Toronto. At the time when we started getting more seriousness, we were living in the Vaughan area. And uh, so, you know, hour drive here to Hamilton. And um, we started looking out here for some investment stuff. And then, uh, you know, got got into the realtor world and got my license. Uh, my wife did as well. And then we started to build up the real estate uh business on the realtor side as well as the investment side, kind of going hand in hand. I kind of wanted to get all in the real estate world in some way. So jumped in that way. Uh, at the time we had, we had some properties. Uh, we were just looking at Hamilton, like I said, but we had properties in other areas. We had some, uh, a couple of investments in Oshawa where we had done some duplex conversions. Uh, we had one in Barrie. So we kind of dabbled into a couple markets and then really settled into Hamilton uh, a little around five years or just a little over five years ago now. And um, yeah, ramped up things here once we moved to Hamilton, uh, started buying a lot more, started doing a lot of joint venture properties uh, with partners. Uh, and then, yeah, into, into today, we, we started a property management company, which would have been three years ago now. And that's my wife's full-time gig. She runs that uh, team of, I think, 12 running that company now. Uh, realtor team has grown over time and uh, to a point we have 15 or so realtors now um, 
well, investment side of it is is a is a probably a specialty of ours. We do do a lot more of uh, kind of the whole residential world of real estate now at this point in terms of the realtor side. And then we started a construction company a year and a half, two years ago, maybe now, and uh, with a partner. And so kind of basically we, we kept looking at it in terms of the burst strategy, which we do a lot of buy, renovate, refinance and rent, and kind of just trying to get every element of that in-house so we can control it. And so started a few other companies along the way to help with that. And uh, all along, you know, just aiding our investment business, which is where, you know, we can have all these other companies, but the real main goal is to grow our portfolio, which we've been doing for yeah five six years, pretty uh, pretty aggressively. Wow, that's uh, you, you do a good job just talking on your own, so I don't have to ask many questions. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. So yeah, I've taken a similar approach with starting the own construction company to do my own burrs. And mm-hmm. for me, I'll give you my perspective, and you can tell me if it was a similar thing for you. I just noticed that like GCs, they charge a lot more. Like when you get priced from, from a general contracting company, it's, it's a lot more than it would be if you put it together yourself, hired your own people. Uh, so I went down the road of getting my own WSIB, getting my own insurance, like hiring my own employees, plus doing my own subcontractors. Uh, is that sort of why it came to fruition for you too? You saw the, the cost, cost benefit of it or is it efficiency? Like what was it? Um, yeah, all that really. I mean, we, we started out, um, so actually the main biggest thing for us was finding the right person to partner up with. That was probably the, we kind of toyed around with this idea for at least a year, trying to talk to current contractors we were working with and, um, other people in our network. And, uh, I mean, the challenge with that at the time, a lot of the good, we wanted to partner with it. We didn't want to be full on ourselves. That wasn't really any of our goals was to like, it wasn't a goal of mine to be in that space day to day. So the way to do it for us was to find a partner who wanted to, to be in that space day to day and, and, you know, they benefit from us bringing the, the business basically. So we'd be, you know, instantly doing all of our projects along with, we could filter out some other clients and whatnot into that, that, that business for them. And they would look after everything in terms of running a, the uh, team of contractors and then, um, you know, helping out quoting, putting it all together. So, we we had some not not really challenges, just kind of typical challenges finding the right person for that. Um, and yeah, we wanted to do it mainly because um, cost savings was one really time. I mean, which is cost at the end of the day too, which is it, it's all comes down to saving money. But the time was the biggest thing. We had a lot of we had a lot of great contractors that we worked with. Um, some not so good, some you know in between, but always come down to timing and you know someone looking after the project on behalf of us they'll take timing somewhat serious, but when it's your own project and you really know that, you know, a month or two um, savings at, at the end of a project is going to save you, you know, you can add up all the things, right? Add up the, the rents, you can add up the, just all the costs, holding costs that come with that. Private money, that's expensive. Private money, perhaps all the different things, right? So getting a project done efficiently and quickly is always been important. And I find it challenging to do that with, uh, you know, the general contractors that are out there they just won't like, I look after it as much as you would your own. Right. So, yeah. um, we've been able to, that's been our main focus the whole time. once, since we started that was just making sure we're done, you know, obviously with good quality, but in a timely manner. Yeah. You can give yourself priority. That's the, yeah. the biggest thing. Like I was, I used to do like whole projects in a summer, you know, when students would leave April 30th and then, you know, September 1st, we're, I have students moving back in. So we had four months to like, you know, got what we needed to gut 
uh, renovate what we needed to renovate. We're building additions and, uh, and then refinish it and be totally done students moving in within four months. For most uh, contractors, you could tell them, hey, this is when I need it. And they say, yeah, sure, sure. And then sure enough, they end up two months later, three months later. Well, yeah. as a student rental landlord, I'd be getting sued. So I, I couldn't do that. Um, but, you know, and on top of that, it's like private money. The sooner I get done, the sooner I can refinance with the bank and pull that, that expensive money out of there. And that's a hard, that's a really hard deadline in that case, which is, which is good. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging. You can put in all the penalty clauses you want and all that stuff, but it still doesn't, it's yeah. nothing really hundred percent guarantees that's going to get done on time unless you have yeah. more control over it. Oh, but if you have your own employees and you're writing the paycheck and they don't work for anybody else, that changes mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, okay. So how does your agreement work there? Um, with our partner there? Yeah. So you found somebody who's, who's got some skills and yeah, we had a, it was, it was a client actually who was doing a lot of these projects himself and, and he would never use any of our GCs we'd recommend. He would go out and basically be the GC for his projects and hire all the different trades and stuff. And, um, he was looking for a different opportunity. Um, and we kind of brought this to him. We brought this idea to some other contractors, but it just, they had big enough businesses on their own. They wanted to maintain what they had started and just wasn't right fits. <clears throat> and so, um, we brought this uh, to our partner. Um, uh, his name's Lee Pollock and he's a partner of our vision construction in, in Hamilton and around the area. And so he, he liked the idea. We, uh, just put it on paper, got together over and basically he, runs the company day to day. Um, and we feed it business and that's the, that's the basic yeah. structure. <clears throat> um, I'll get involved here, here and there. I, I spent max a couple hours a week on that, just trying to help the business kind of grow and mm-hmm. doing whatever we need to do to, to lead it and grow it. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, you know, we, we, we feed a business their own projects and then we have the realtor team and their and property management, that whole, collaboration kind of all feeding business back and forth has worked out pretty well. Nice. And do you have like a deal that if it's your own project, do you, uh, you guys just do it at cost or are you, are you always, you know, pumping some profit into the company? To you know what? Deal? Yeah, we've, we, we toyed around with that. Um, the same thing on the property management side. We also toyed around with giving ourselves everything at cost. I found it didn't work very well, to be honest. And so we probably did a, you know, six months to a year on the construction side and the product management side where we were doing everything at cost for ourselves and then charging normally for other clients. I didn't find it worked out that well long-term. It probably could. Um, We, at the end of the day, like we're paying ourselves and, four or five different ways here. And, um, yeah. and we really just want to see, we want to see these companies be proper businesses on their own, regardless of the you know network of, of companies that we have there. So in order to do that and to make sure that we're giving good service all around in the, in the companies, yeah. we really can't be cutting too much. It just doesn't make much sense. So we give ourselves the best deal that we could give. That's still like a normal client's, right. uh, you know, costs. So, yeah, it's not. It's it's an efficiency thing. Like it's going to be too much to manage if you try and try and separate it like that. That that makes sense. So you just keep everything kind of operating properly. Yeah, like even like on a property management side, for example, we typically are charging ourselves eight percent uh, on mm-hmm. the rents, for example, which is a pretty pretty standard cost that uh, most people would charge other yeah. people. So is that um, including leasing? Leasing would be extra. Leasing is extra. Okay. So yeah. that plus, plus leasing. Yeah, and do so you, are you available for anybody to, to, to use your services property management wise? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, that's the same for me personally. I don't spend a lot of time in either of those places. My wife runs uh, the property management company uh, day to day. So that's our full-time, full-time thing. Um, it's a tough world for whatever reason she really enjoys it. Um, hasn't been, it was never a thing that I really enjoyed about this, uh, about real estate investing, but she really does. And she, um, uh, helps there. So she, yeah, it's, it's someone to contact her, but, uh, I can certainly, um, help out with that introduction. And, and we definitely take on, um, other clients aside from ourselves who manage 600 or so, prop, uh, 600 or so units there currently. Wow. You're busy. They're not all ours. <laughs> what, what was the drive? Like, so you started the construction company is you said it's the same reason for the property management just to have control over it. Cause you're not dealing with the same timeframes there. Um, yeah, property management one, just, we really needed it a lot more. Like, uh, I guess, you know, the challenge has always been for us is, uh, finding companies that can do stuff at, at our, you know, expectation of, of what we would have if we were doing it ourselves. And I'm really big, believer in leveraging and, and I don't expect things to be done. You know, if I wanted to do something, you know, a hundred percent to my level, I don't expect everyone to do it at that level necessarily. I always say if I'm, if I'm going to get 75, 80% uh, as well of a job done and I can get someone else to do that, I'm going to probably leverage it. Um, and so we, you know, we were looking at that in the property management world. Um, and I just, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of great, uh, I don't know. There are some great companies out there. We just couldn't find one that worked for us properly. And so my wife was looking for another role. Uh, she was in, uh, she's a realtor as well, but she was doing a, a role with our, uh, our, our office, our brokerage in a leadership role there. And she got into that and was looking for something else to do. This kind of aligned with that. And mm-hmm. we just went in on that. Um, we needed it because we were managing our own properties at the time and it was just getting a bit out of control with, with timing and everything. And so we needed some leverage there and she needed something to pursue something that she liked and enjoyed and fell into that. And yeah. I mean, it, sound, it, from there. it sounds like a great little compliment. So you guys get to work together. Um, my wife and I, we don't, yeah. we don't exactly work together on our investments. Uh, she's kind of doing her thing. I'm doing my thing, but I would love that kind of arrangement where we, where we kind of ran the whole show, uh, together. It's a great, it's great. It's better than what we, like we have, we've actually always worked together. So we've been together, what, maybe eight years or something married for, uh, three and almost three in a couple weeks. And we've always worked together, but we've always, we've always been actually even closer working together than we are now. Now it's, it's a little bit nicer to have a tiny bit of separation, but still be in the same, same world and still being able to deal with each other a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's a great, and they're great complimentary, right? Obviously yeah. you can pass business back and forth pretty well. Okay. So, so take just for a little bit of context, do you still own the properties that are outside of Hamilton or you got rid of them? Uh, we still own them. We've, we've sold one, we've sold more than one property in, in our history here, but we've sold one that's been outside Hampton. So we've only ever sold, we have one in Oshawa that we sold a few years back. Okay. Um, but everything else we've kept. So the one at the distance, you still got one in Newmarket Vaughn or? Yeah, we have one in, we have one in Vaughn, which was a house we used to live in. Um, and then we have one in Barrie and we have just one in Oshawa now and then everything else yeah. is in Hamilton. Okay. And what are you at total? approximate we have um so we have an investment company too that we started a couple years ago um who so we have about 15 that are just personal or jvs outside of that company and then inside that company we have another probably 40 or so properties properties and is that a similar model where you're jv'd on them 
Like, yeah. is it a 50, 50? So those are all, those are all JVs. Yeah. Um, so those are 40 or whatever amount of properties we have there are all joint venture partnerships. Um, mostly 50, 50 partnerships. Some of them, yeah. the odd one could be like a third or something here and there, depending on the, on the, uh, structure. But yeah, so we have all in all, if you add all those up, it's like, it's close to 200 units, I guess. And Holy crap. You're a busy yeah. guy then. So, yeah. so construction company, 200 units and uh, property management company, obviously facilitating a lot of what you're doing. Um, the ones that are at a distance, are you self-managing those or do you have a JV that's managing them or, or how? Uh, we have other property management companies. So we have yeah. two other management companies that we work with that are in those areas. And, yeah. um, you know, part of our goals going forward, um, was or is to kind of expand our operations here into probably like those two markets would be very, um, very good markets for that. Oshawa, that Durham region area, and then, uh, Barry. Yeah. Kind of looking to expand a lot of our operate as we get really comfortable and, and good here in Hamilton with what we have locally. We're you know we'd expand all these op- realtor investment company construction is a little more difficult, but definitely the property management into these other areas probably the ones that we already have properties would make the most sense. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Well, you've got a good connection in uh, in Rob up there uh, in the Durham region. So yeah, yeah. For those yeah. who don't know, that's your co-host on uh, Breakthrough REI podcast. I'm saying that right, right? You got it. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. So we've been, yeah, we've been doing that for six years. So we've been, we've been uh, yeah. partners in that sense for a long time. Okay. So going back to before that, cause uh, 200 units doesn't happen by accident. Uh, yeah. I uh, think I understand from Rob that you guys met at an investor uh, meetup. Was that uh, like rain or something like that? Uh, Durham REI. So Durham, oh, you met at Durham REI. Okay. Durham Regional uh, Real Estate Investment Club. Yeah. So yeah. we met there. Yeah, Kate, my wife, and I just started going there. Really, the story of our started with the Rich Dad Poor Dad conference, or Rich Dad, you know, the free weekend Rich Dad Poor Dad thing, and um, went to that. Met some people there. From there, actually, went to the Durham REI group and started going there every month. And um, you know, went there six, six, eight months, something like that, where we didn't really do anything, just just gather knowledge, build our network, um, started to do some wholesale deals and, and all that, and then. Through, yeah, we met Rob there. Rob and I, so we started talking a lot, just random conversations about real estate. We basically talk every day. And then we just said, why don't we start recording some of these things? And then uh, realized that there was like nothing in that space in Canada and decided to make it like totally Canadian and just uh, go down that niche. And, and we stuck with it. Yeah. For six plus years now. Yeah. You guys, you guys definitely got in at the right time. Like being that mm-hmm. first mover is so huge. Yeah. Every, you're the, you're definitely the go-to. It's allowed us to have very average um, audio and video quality for six years and still get away with it. <laughs> yeah. You get, you get that right. No, yeah. It's uh, Hey, like, you know what? I can, when I listen to the episodes, I can hear them. And I think that's the most important part. You guys get some really mm-hmm. good guests. Um, yeah. That, which obviously comes, I think when you're, when you're so well known. So I'm still working my, uh, my way up there. Some great guests too, like yourself. We've had you on there too. Not too yeah, long ago, so. yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Um, okay, so before all that, did you go to school here in Ontario? Did you go to post secondary, or were you straight out into the work world? Like, what's your background? Yeah, um, I went to uh, I went to uh, University of uh, Windsor for starters. Um, so locally, I was average student, I guess. I was uh, kind of bored in real in ever. I did pretty well growing up in school. Got. Uh, I would say progressively worse because I got progressively more bored with all the topics and um, ended up 
graduating, uh, not from there, I ended up going to a school in uh, Australia a couple of years after Windsor there, went to a school in Australia, which was like a golf sport development, sports management program that I ended up in and got a, graduated from there. Um, whenever that would have been 2008, maybe 2009, okay. um, started teaching golf there for a year and a half, two years uh, after that. So I was over there living um, in Australia for almost just under three years and uh, nothing to do with real estate. Got out of that because I realized that industry is just wasn't for me. It's a lot of, um, a lot of patience and a lot of, uh, a lot of work really for very little money. It's very difficult to make, make much uh, of a dent in that industry unless you're super, yeah. super passionate about it, which I was about playing it, but not really about teaching it uh, for golf. And then came back here to Canada when I would have been 20, four or 25, something like that. Um, yeah, 24, 25. And then really just dabble around into some kind of odd jobs, uh, trying to get things going again. Met my wife at work, actually. She hired me for this this role. I was, we were doing at an event company. And uh, shortly after that, went to the Rich Dad Poor Dad event, um, learned about wholesaling real estate, and uh, some other areas, we didn't have any money. So we're obviously wholesaling was attractive to us because you could do a deal with no money. Um, started doing a few of those, I guess, relatively successful with that compared to what most people are here in Canada. Um, probably did 10 or so wholesale deals in that year uh, following that. Uh, one of them was like $25,000 wholesale deal, which was nice at the time. It was our biggest one. And it was uh, uh, really a lot more money than we've ever made. Took that 25k, put it right into a down uh, down payment on a duplex in Oshawa, which we bought for two hundred sixty-seven thousand. So if you can do the math on that at five percent down at the time, um, we basically covered the whole cost of that place with that wholesaling. So you just uh, had a wholesale fee. Fee. So free house, yeah. sort of, kind of in a way, a free house. Yeah, uh, we did spend about another ten on like lines of credit or credit cards to renovate it, and yeah. it was like a really. We didn't even know what the burst strategy was at the time, but it was a, basically a version of that. Um, finished off that project and we rented it. Yeah, held, held that plate. We it was like the one that we've sold out there. So we only mm-hmm. held it for maybe maybe three years, probably maybe even less than that. Um, and we yeah, two sixty seven. Spent ten grand on it. Sold it for four fifteen. Uh, took the proceeds from that. Bought two places here in Hamilton. Just kind of snowballed. Yeah. So it was all, that was your seed money to get, to get things going then basically. Yeah. 25 yeah. grand from a wholesale, wholesale deal. Yeah. That's all it takes. Right. So, okay. I did want to ask you is I don't want to breeze over that. Cause I think wholesaling has become a lot more popular than it was probably what that was like five years ago, six years ago. A little more, seven or eight. Yeah. Seven or eight. Cause you, you became an investor. So basically seven years ago then. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's quick movement. So it was, it was back then it was a lot more rare to find that in Canada. Now, of course, we've got Luke and, and a bunch of other guys that are all in that scene doing yeah, wholesales. Yeah. yeah. They blew it up. Um, what did you find that was working then? And do you still try to do that now? Or, uh, is that just not an angle you try and take? Yeah. Good question. Um, back then, so what we did, I mean, we, I mean, the internet was, was alive, obviously back then we're not, we're not talking 25 years ago here, but it was, it was not being utilized nearly the way it is today. Social media was way, way less of a thing. It was still something, but it wasn't nearly as big as it is now. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we, we weren't using really anything socially online where we were doing some classified ads. So Kijiji ads and that online that we we're using to find, uh, 
find distressed sellers and people that we could help out through wholesaling them a, a deal. We were we were building up our lists, our, our buyer and seller lists, um, our investor list of people that wanted to purchase off-market properties and our potential list of sellers who were motivated. Uh, that was what we focused on a lot was the lists and uh, essentially building up our database, which is um, something that we still focus on a lot now, but just in different ways. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was all about the wholesale deals and who we could align with those deals, which was great because now as a realtor and another investor and all that, it's great to have those people in our network oh, yeah. um, that we built up over time. So we had like a landing page for investors and we had a landing page for uh, sellers and we do the classified ads to find both and draw them, drive Serious? them to those pages. Yeah. You find you find legit buyers on on Kijiji. I guess that makes sense because they're the people looking for cheap properties, and then you just you put it right there for them. We had so that we had we had done some smaller deals, wholesale deals leading up to that that twenty five thousand dollar one, which were like five grand, seven grand. Those were done with like people we knew directly that we met at a real estate investing club or right. whatever. Um, we we didn't find the deals through the club, but we found the investors there. The deal that we ended up doing that was the twenty five thousand one was a totally random investor that we'd never met had signed up on our list through a, I think it was through a Kijiji ad. The deal that we found was also through a uh, Kijiji ad. Um, it was literally both those lists combining. We sent an email out with this deal that we'd found and it was in Burlington actually. And um, we, we didn't really even know the area that well. Uh, we weren't really typically looking in Burlington, but the deal came in through and it was in Burlington. Quick numbers on it were like, it seems really cheap. And then we sent it out to our list and it was like instantly the same day, someone jumped up, was like, yeah, I'll buy that. Don't even really need to see it. We ended up showing it to them, but uh, they closed in it. It was like a quick close, kind of perfect scenario almost. So I think it closed in seven days. Holy crap, really? Yeah. So it was like, it was like at that time for us, that was incredible. That was crazy because we hadn't made yeah. that much money before. And it was 25, like in a matter of two weeks or less. And that was you and your wife doing that together? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, so as far as that goes, were you just tying them up conditionally at that time? So you're just doing a conditional purchase and then, and then trying to find a buyer. And if you didn't, you would just release that deal. Yeah. And, um, as little as we could for deposit on that deal, I believe we did a hundred dollar deposit, which seems crazy, but it, do you it, just slide that through? You don't, you don't mention it. <laughs> well, we're only tying it up for, you know, for in that case, it was like three days or something that we tied it up. I mean, it's not like yeah. we're, we're, um, if we couldn't do anything with it, we weren't going to hold on to it for weeks trying to figure it out and yeah. only have them a hundred bucks deposit. Uh, yeah. We, it, you know, looking back, I mean, yeah, it's kind of silly for someone to accept that, but they agreed to yeah. it. We ended up helping them. And, and for that specific person, they were really ha- happy to get that thing done. They needed money. Yeah. Seven days was too long. They needed money the next day. Um, so we did our best to make it happen quick and it worked out and they were happy nice. to move on from that place that they owned. And, uh, we were happy to get it. The other really interesting lesson I learned from that, this is why we stopped wholesaling and started doing other stuff, was the investor that bought that, who we still know and and, uh, and talk to regularly today, um, they bought that deal. They made 130 grand on it or so. And afterwards, they were like, why didn't you guys just... Part, like we definitely would have just partnered with you. We still would have done all the work. We would have given you 50% of the deal and we could have all split that 150, 160 K that was there. And we go, Oh crap, man, we would have made yeah three, four times what we made on it, but okay. you don't know what you don't know at the time. And, uh, still worked out well for us. So that morphed into the model where you, you just basically JV with people, you find the property, they put in the money, do the work. Is that kind of how that's, that works typically? Yeah. 
Yeah, so we, we bought that one in Nashua and then we, we it wasn't it was only that one that we had actually and the and the house we ended up living in personally that we uh that we bought. But other than those two we didn't have any other any other properties. We started JVing right after that. So. Okay. So you went you went into the JVs pretty heavy pretty quick. Yeah. 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 Well, it makes sense. Like looking at the scale and how fast you're able to grow, uh, doing it by yourself, you're never going to grow that fast. Now you, you do avoid some of the headaches if, if you don't have great processes for dealing with your JV partners, which it sounds like you probably have some pretty good processes for, uh, for dealing with them. Uh, yeah, you need to, as you, as you scale up hundred percent. Yeah. You need to have, you need to be able to leverage and be okay with that. You need to have some yeah. people in your world that you, uh, that you bring on and help with it. You need to have, we have virtual assistants now too, that we've implemented a lot over the last year and a half, two years, um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that help with a little bit on the investing side, a lot in like every one of those businesses, construction, uh, investments, real realtor and property management. They all have at least one virtual assistant that's in um, Philippines that helps us out. So there's, there's a lot of different system stuff in there that, that can help. Yeah. And, um, a lot of different things we've used over the years. Well, tell me a little bit about that. Like what you found, like for me, I got, my head was about to pop off uh, before this whole virus thing started and uh, I'm still incredibly busy, but just like my phone rings a little less, which is helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is it that you've done that, that allows you to have your sanity, run all these companies, have all these properties? Like what allowed you to trust those people when you said if they could do it 80% as well, um, you know, kind of, if you can pull back the curtain a little bit and, and help me understand what the mental process was and how it evolved. So, yeah, I mean, primarily I, um, maybe it's a little bit natural that I'm a little bit okay with leveraging things and, and, and happy to partner with people. I'm very much, very much an optimistic person versus being skeptical, which is not always a positive. Um, yeah. but I also, um, have learned a lot over times, uh, from, I mean, different business trainings that I've gone to and I spent a lot of time on getting knowledge around that have helped me probably get confidence to, to partner with people and to take risks that others might not. I think it's really based on knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I could say that I'm probably a little more or a little less risk adverse than some people, but I'm also just confident because I've really spent yeah. a lot of time, um, you know, getting knowledge around this stuff and uh, business training in general, really. I, I spent yeah. a lot of time learning about business training that uh, stuff you don't necessarily learn in school, things you need to learn by doing or by hanging around other entrepreneurs and building up your environment around you um, to, to help you, you know, feel confident in those decisions. Um, we've spent, you know, not, not always the great relationships that I've been into, but a lot of times, you know, the people that we have gotten into business with have been really good. And, um, I think it most important thing really is people and getting the right people on board. Yeah. Uh, one of my mentors, I guess I would call him Gary Keller, who's runs Keller Williams, the realtor company that I'm a part of. Um, you know, he has many different businesses and he always says that, uh, in order to launch any great business, all you need is, is an idea and someone to run with the idea and you don't need to do any of it yourself. If you get the right person that's, uh, excited about it, um, you know, whatever percentage splits you want to do that can be always negotiated, but all you need is a great idea, especially once you've built up a business, it's really easy to do some spinoff businesses from it, right. complimentary ones and uh, like ancillary businesses. And just all you need is someone to run with the idea and they can be a big part of it. If they, if they get it off the ground and get it going, um, that's worth, you know, maybe 50, 50 would be probably an average in what those would be worth. So, you know, allowing someone to do that. I just, we just let them go, let them run with it and, and try and support them as much as we can. That 
if you're going to be overly involved in every single one of those, you're going to, you're going to be impossible, right? You just can't keep up with that in, in terms of time. So what's, what's the, so you said your typical JV is, it's not actually you doing the work. You usually let your, your partner do the work as far as a burr goes or, or are you doing the work? No, for a burr, I'd like to not do the work. We do the, we do all the work. Um, I'd like to be the, just the money guy. I think that'd be the better way to do it long-term uh, eventually, but we do, uh, we do the work side of it. So like in a burr strategy, we have, I've, I've, I kind of have partners in every little component of that which is nice from a time standpoint for me um i, I kind of I, I run the realtor team that's my main focus day to day okay so uh you know finding a property sometimes i get a little more involved in that side of it more so than anywhere else but um i have uh, my partner adrian who runs our like investment division company right now so he does a lot of the joint venture conversations for example like if i'm coming across a jv potential unless it's someone i know from the past i usually hand it off to adrian and he'll talk to them onboard them as partners and and um basically take that relationship on and, and keep that going um for the construction side of it you know we get our, our construction guys in there and they they run it pretty seamlessly without me being involved and then um property management side long term my wife deals with that I, i'm a little more involved just from an outside perspective, just helping her with things, but day to day, not really involved there with her team and whatnot. Um, so really it just comes down to the buying the property. So sometimes I get some decision making to be done there or, you know, coming, you know, just being in constant contact with our team, learning about opportunities that come up and helping them, helping them find opportunities, whether it's something that suits us and our investments or it's clients or, or someone else, um, just generally overseeing all that and helping them grow and, and do their thing ultimately leads to opportunities for us to get involved and buy the odd one. And uh, from the time that we actually purchased something, I don't do a whole lot currently. I love the sound uh, of that. <laughs> honestly, like I, I enjoy them. I really enjoy real estate investing. I honestly found a lot more enjoyment personally, just, just for me out of helping our guys grow as leaders and helping them grow as um, you know, great salespeople and, and seeing them and watching them succeed. I found a lot more excitement in that over the last couple of years and just now going more so all in on that yeah. and ultimately help them grow and succeed. I'm going to get some value out of that. In long yeah. Time. So you Anyways. profit and you, and you get to be around people who are constantly thinking and doing, and mm-hmm. that's contagious. That's the thing I love about the, the team model. If you have a really good team in anything is everybody pushes everybody. Cause you don't want to be that guy that's getting less results than everybody else. <laughs> You want to step it up and, and find a way to match. Um, yeah. So and it's 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 tough as an entrepreneur on your own. Like when we were starting out, it was maybe it was better for me as with with my wife involved too. We had at least two of us, but it is mm-hmm. it's a grind on your own to be doing anything entrepreneurial um, where you can really feel lonely, especially like right now given what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having a team around in, in any any sense is is really valuable. I think, yeah. especially if it's the right people. Yeah. And we'll get into the the specifics of what's happening with the market right now and how that's affecting you. But I just want to get into your bread and butter before we, uh, we do that. So you're, you're yeah. typically functioning as the person that's finding the deals. Your team is there. Are they primarily salary based or are they usually commission based? Like your, your guy that onboards the partners, does he get a commission or is he just on your payroll? Uh, so Adrian is a partner of mine in that business. He, we split everything basically. So he's okay. in, he's very much in as an owner. So everybody's um, incentivized that way. Is that more or less the way? Well, on the real, on the investment, on the pure investment team. Yeah. He has, we have another two people now that work. One of them is a realtor who works commission based. And then one mm-hmm. of them is, um, 
Uh, actually, she's, she's not quite. She was about to join up with us. She hasn't. We postponed it a month just based on what's going on in the world. But she's um, she'll be a salary. So we have a mix of across yeah. all the board there. We have a mix of salary and uh, commission base, and I guess more um, just different different versions of like hourly or self employed now too. Nice. Um, realtors are all commission based. Uh, yeah. A lot of the realtor team is commission based, but we do have. We have a lot of salaries now too. Nice. Yeah. I I find like from a personal, like with my construction company, like when I hire a few extra people, if they're good people, like my life just gets so much easier. And I've been, I've been fortunate enough to have it with all this stuff going on right now. I've been actually fortunate enough to ramp up the amount of people I have working for me. And, uh, oh my God, it's made life, uh, easier. That's part of the reason why I'm getting less calls now is because I have more competent people, uh, on site on a daily, which yeah, if you have the right people, you you know, you get, you get a lot less, a lot less to do with they're good and they want to do with it. They're motivated for whatever reason to work with that. I I really like the, you asked about salary commission. I really like it in any way we can. It doesn't always work perfectly depending on the role, but I always love to have someone who's, really, really small salary or small wages or whatever, and, and high incentives through commissions or bonuses. Yeah. I find that's the best model. Then they're at least motivated to make more money through some things and not always through sales, but whatever different ways yeah. we can incentivize them. Do you find that you, you're able to find people who are just intrinsically motivated to want to satisfy, like want to do a good job? Um, Yes and no. I think it always comes down to they have to get whatever they want out of it, right? Out of that, mm-hmm. out of that relationship. Um, the one of the biggest things that I found starting out with any business, but you know, in the ones that we've done for sure, is just um, having a good vision and a mission for people to be a part of. Um, that's that's something that you can't you can't get really good people to join up with for something at the cost that you're going to be able to pay them at the start, uh, unless there's a big mission or vision behind it. Mm-hmm. And so they have to align with that and they have to see the long-term vision of that and see where their career can grow to. Otherwise, otherwise yeah. the really best people are going to be too expensive at the beginning and you're not going to yeah. be able to afford that. Right. So you have is to that true? To... That's true across the realtor business and in the renovation side. And I think it's everywhere. Side. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Unless you're coming in, unless you're starting a business there, they have a lot of cash on hand for yeah. whatever reason and you can afford to pay someone, yeah. you know, six figures for, for, cause a lot of the, great people are probably worth six, six figures plus, yeah. but you're, you're not probably maybe can't afford more than, you know, okay. 35, 40,000 at the beginning. Right. So you need to somehow, they need to be excited to work there and um, yeah, you got to put them, you know, show them path right to what that could look yeah. like. Yeah. And for an example of that, like for, for my stuff, when I started doing the student rentals, anybody working there, I'm like, <laughs> I was just beating it into their heads. I'm like, these have to be better than all the rest. The only way this works is if this is better than everything else out there. So we only do great. You know, Hey Andrew, what do you want us to do with that? I want you to make it look right. We don't, yeah. we don't do sloppy renovations or we don't do uh, sloppy work. So I guess that was like the vision I tried to do, which I'm, I'm sure you have a much better example. Cause I know Gary Keller uh, teaches that and, and you're obviously with Keller Williams. So uh, I think that there's just so many business skills that are learned through through uh, that approach. Yeah, I think so. And you're like even in that example, like even that. So yeah, probably people have a little more passion around doing something great versus just getting yeah. you know crap thrown thrown yeah. together and and figure it out like. Uh, naturally the people are going to be a little more excited about building a project like that. Yeah. It's like really great. And you could take photos when you're done. Like I'd let them like, like, Hey, take all the photos you want of it. Show all the, you know, show your friends what you, what you do, like show, show them that you make really cool projects and you, you worked on that. So yeah. uh, I try and keep everybody motivated that way. And that's because if you do like mediocre stuff, everybody has a mediocre attitude about it. 
Usually, yeah, and it's not very exciting to be a part of. It's just basic, yeah. right? It's, it's pretty boring for the most Yeah, people. exactly. That's for me. I mean, not that there's not a place for mediocre rentals. I mean, there's a huge market for that, but I don't really love being in that market. <laughs> yeah, unless you're going to pay them a lot. Money talks for some people, but even money yeah. is like, it's not the biggest thing. For, for a lot of people, money is not that important, actually. If you really go deep with yeah. people, money is, for entrepreneurial type people, usually there's some sort of money motivation, but a lot of people that are in, you know, okay to, take the salary. They might have, you know, way more family aspirations that don't really need money or there's oh, yeah. so many other things than just the, just the money side that you can help get people excited yeah. about working with you with. Well, and I'll call a spade a spade. I mean, with the tax structure we have, have here in Canada, you make more, you pay a lot more in taxes. So if you don't love yeah. what you do, there is a certain point where people are just like, meh. Like, I mean, I'm not really that motivated. You don't need to make more money. There's no point. Yeah. yeah you're you're actually going to net the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so there's a certain bit of apathy I see in Canadians, which is, is definitely due to our, our tax structure. And yeah, I mean, that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down, but, um, but uh, it's just more topical these days because of everything going on in the economy, which we're going to get into in just a second. I just wanted to ask you about your typical project. So Mike Johnson was on here and I think he learned it from you doing the two and a half story brick, uh, brick houses. I like those. I mean, I, I think um, Hamilton, it depends where you are located for sure. Like you can't do these projects everywhere. Our typical projects, uh, we are doing some bigger stuff now, some apartment buildings and that, but okay. the ones that we've done our bread and butter for the last few years has been the, ideally it's a, well, it could be legal four unit, but I, most of them are legal three units. Okay. Um, and so there's two and a half story bricks. Uh, Usually they have, they might not have three or four units in them to start with, but our goal is usually to make them three or four unit properties. And, uh, yeah, one, one unit on the main floor, one on the second, then they'll have an attic unit and then, and then usually a basement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I, I thought, I just found there's the most, uh, you could get the biggest lift out of those on, on the residential side. We've done some duplex conversions and you know, they're all good and you can do all, all those projects and work we just found we're leaving in some money every time we do that. And, and it's a yeah. much easier sell to partners if we can tell them that they're going to get all their money back. And, um, and then once you do that for someone and they get all their money back, it's like, why would they not just keep going more and more and more? And there's no end in sight. Whereas, yeah. well, the only end there is that they can't qualify for another more mortgage, perhaps. but the other side where they have, you know, doing a duplex because duplex, I always found you're leaving in 20, at least 20,000 up to, 70 80 grand depending on the project and um that's fine for the people that have a lot of money you can still keep going and doing a lot but eventually that that adds up to being a decent amount of money that's tied up for a few years at least right yeah so that's that's the incredible thing with these two and a half stories that you've been doing is that you're getting you're getting to pull your money back out um it is that still still what you're doing or do you have another example you could give us of a burr you've done and you know that's that's been kind of like a call it middle of the line burr for you yeah we've done a lot of those 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 have been the primary uh, uh, uh projects uh, hamilton has an abundance of them so it's been a great area to do it and if you're in different cities you might not be able to do that because they just won't be the inventory mm-hmm. that's why we've liked hamilton it's got a good inventory for that and it's got a lot of uh rundown places that needed to be turned around and there's still a lot of those so that's why we keep doing them here um prices have gone up for sure but rental rates have also gone up a lot and so the numbers still can make sense yeah um we started doing some bigger buildings that's that's the main thing which take longer like those ones we can turn around um definitely worst case scenario like a year more likely six to eight months just depending on the tenant okay scenario and do we need to 
you know, get remove tenants and go down that road because that usually adds on a few few months. Yeah. Um, or if we get it vacant, it's a lot quicker. Uh, we we have a couple in the in the works right now that are not uh, not completed that are like an eight unit and a 15 unit building that are going to be more like two year projects, but the okay. exact same, exact same model, just buying, renovating, yeah. removing tenants, having to remove a bunch more tenants in that case and uh, make some deals with those tenants to, to, to move them out. And then uh, okay. same process numbers are a little different because now you're commercial mortgages. So it's all about cap rate. And whereas the uh, residential side on residential mortgage, it's always a lot more about comparables mm-hmm. and not just, not just rental rates don't really affect that as much. Yeah. So even if you're in a triplex area, it's still more comparable than it is uh, from an appraisal standpoint about, about cap rate. Yeah. And that's one of the things that makes that, that space a little tough in some markets is there's just no comparables, right? So you always have, yeah. you have to look at what the comparables are. The, the tough thing yeah. with it too is that it's, they can't go back more than six months. Uh, and sometimes some appraisers might say three months even on, on how far back they go in terms of where they get their comparables from. And so if they can only go back six months, Hamilton thankfully has a good chunk of inventory that gets sold at those higher price points, but in uh, Toronto and all the bigger markets would, but smaller markets can be tougher because now you're looking for, you know, maybe your, maybe your property is really worth, you know, whatever it is, a triplex, it's worth 700 grand. But if there's no sale of that product in the last year, yeah, maybe you're not able to show the bank that it's worth that. So it's, there's a lot of little fine details with that refinance part that you need to be careful about with the, with the birth strategy. Now, if, if memory serves, and, and obviously this isn't like we're recommending one one lender because I think the policies always change and you can never really rely on one. Um, but uh, I believe Mike was saying you guys were having a lot of luck with Scotiabank. Yeah, Scotia's been our, I would say, unless we're doing anything private or B lenders or something creative, a little more creative, it's been, been the go-to A lender for a while on a residential platform with like, personal someone qualifying personally no yeah. or anything like that yeah so not getting into commercial lending obviously you're gonna have to do that with your eight plex 15 plex uh but but you're still on if you're in a triplex area you're still on residential lending with the bank um yeah. okay so are you are you able to pick your own appraiser or do you guys have an established relationship with an appraiser that you can kind of get to pick up your deals or is it always random that's been a, that's a good that's been actually a really really good piece for us uh for probably four years now is having the same appraiser which is not something that i believe is doable all the time it kind of uh mm-hmm. just came about with us built the relationship with 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 her and also through our mortgage brokers uh synergy mortgage group who we use a lot here locally in hamilton they uh they have that relationship with with an appraiser that we're able to almost all the time use the yeah. same appraiser, which is not yeah. always the case. And it's, it just allows us to be a little more direct and communicating with them. And they, they know the type of product we do. They know that, yeah. you know, they're going to, they're not going to risk their, you know, their, their role or their professional career with giving us something silly, but they're well, just they, going to give us the benefit of the doubt that they know that maybe they'll come in and, and see that we have a few things left to do, but they know we're going to finish it and yeah. still give us the right amount and, and they'll give us, yeah slightly higher maybe than they would someone else just because they know that we do the same thing over and over again and they know what to expect. They know the quality of your product. The other thing, like yeah. the thing I love about getting the same appraiser and I, I specifically had to have it, have it with the student rentals is they were all selling off market. So 
they were just direct to investor. Like it was always, you know, from one investor to another. And, and because of that, if you didn't work with the appraisers that had appraised the other properties, they couldn't use it as a comparable because it wasn't a market transaction. So, uh, for me in London, that actually, that actually became an essential because if you get a random in there, they're like, what, this price doesn't even make sense. Meanwhile, there's been like 50 properties that have traded in that valuation, but they just didn't go on the actual, uh, how to do system. that? Did you have did you have like direct access to that that lender? Was it through a, a mortgage broker or a bank? Or so so I was working with CIBC, and the guy I worked with at CIBC would would call um, because they still used um, a broker system. So so you probably your your appraisals might go through NAS or Solidify. Uh, there's another one called F and F, and they they're basically a pool. And the appraisal request drops into the pool. Somebody picks it up. So what he was doing, I kind of just derived what he was doing is he would hit submit and then he would call the guy right away. He's like, Hey, Drew, pick up that, that request. And uh, he'd pick it up. And sure enough, like the numbers made sense to him. He had the comps already. It was really easy for him to just do another of the same. If you're doing a cookie cutter model, it's easy to give it the same valuation because you have direct comps. And I'm assuming that with your guys, it was a similar relationship. You know, they'd built that up. They knew they could just call him and say, Hey, we just hit submit. Can you pick it up? And uh, again, I don't know the exact inner workings because I've never been able to do it directly myself. Uh, of course, the, you know, from a broker standpoint, they say, nope, you have to order it through one of these brokers. And it's totally random. You can't even see who the person is. Like It's like uh, Kijiji where it disguises the email address when you email each other. Like, you right, can't yeah, yeah. see who that person is. You can't even see their name. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's why it really helps if you, if you have direct access to them and you can tell them, please pick this up. It's huge for the, for the, on the, on the residential side, at least on the refis, it's, it's really, really, really big to have that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is the part where normally I'd get into some specific numbers, but I mean, Mike's episode, we kind of went through like a perfect burr. I think you, you had told me that you had one where you pulled out even like 150 grand or something like that. We've probably done, we've had some silly numbers on some of these deals that have been really great. Like for comparing to other residential deals, there's been some, uh, it's been very, very rare that we haven't pulled out every single penny that we've put in. Like there's been the odd one where we've left in maybe up to 10 grand or so. Um, but for the most part, we're, we're getting all of our money back out. And I don't know what the most, I think we have done one. There would have been one somewhere between 120 and 150 that we'd pull all of it out. This is a few, few years back now. Um, we, I mean, we, the reason we pulled that much money was because the renovation was larger than normal. We added a lot more value. We were able to, yeah pump it up more. Right. So we, I think the renovation was close to 300 grand there on a fourplex, um, that we bought for like two, two thirty, two thirty five, And then we bought it for, sorry, two thirty seven five, two thirty seven five hundred. This is going back a few years, but it was like completely a mess. Uh, not falling over structurally was really well, but inside total, you know, got re reconfigure everything. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, upwards to i want to say it's about 270 280 uh on the renovation and then refinance for 850 so some loose math there you're at four you're at uh we're at 500 and change with holding costs and everything and then 850 so we pulled back out what's that six six seventy is that right uh let's see here so 850 times 0.8 so yeah so 680 minus 550 so yeah, you were, let's just see what you're 140,000 that we got back out on top of what yeah. we put in. So that's yeah. a talk about flipping to yourself. That's where it really was flipping to ourselves. We actually got the flip profit out of it too. Yeah. and our, and our, uh, and our yeah. money back. So. And, and you cash flowed after all that. 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, with with management fees, with all the other stuff, we don't necessarily cash flow a ton. Um, yeah. We cash flow enough. Like, we don't... Like a few hundred bucks. Yeah, a few hundred bucks on that probably yeah. now, which is okay for us. I'd rather have the 130 grand in my pocket that I could reinvest yeah. now and, and do again. Do we can grow so much time. bigger. You can grow yeah. so much bigger in the long run. So and over time, the cash flow will get slightly better as rents go get up better. and your mortgage pays down, right? And, yeah. yeah. Except for this, uh, what do they call this? The black swan event that we're having right now. Uh, yeah, good time to transition. Now, um, I guess let's start off with what you are seeing um, in the market. Like just some general comments. You know, we're, we're into this. Uh, right now, we still have the right to leave our houses once we're out of our quarantine and go to the grocery store. But that could yeah. change very soon too. Um, yeah. I, I guess I'm I'm kind of grateful right now. I have a lot of different ins on the industry because even doing the podcast, talking to all these people, we have the property management company, which has been really interesting the last couple of weeks. Who everyone was pretty surprised actually at how many people got their full amount of rent um, on yeah. April first, there a week or so ago. May might get a little tougher potentially, but uh, a lot of people were waiting on the government bailouts. A lot of tenants, at least, were waiting on the government handouts and stuff that came mm-hmm. or that are coming through this week. Uh, so. I think that's going to help a lot of people. We were, I was just talking with my wife, Kate there before the show. Um, our typical monthly, uh, at this point. So a week after the first, our typical, um, amount of people that haven't paid is like, uh, what was the number? 7%, I think. And by the 15th of the month, we're usually down to like one or 2% left that haven't paid. But, uh, we were at we were ten percent higher, so we we're up around fifteen, seventeen percent that hadn't paid so far this month, mm-hmm. which wasn't a huge. You know, at the end of the day, we've talked to them all. Communication has been important. If if people aren't communicating with their tenants through this, they definitely need to start. Um, so we know where everything where things are at. We know they're either there are a couple of people that just aren't paying for whatever reason, but most of them are. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a payment plan of some sort at this point. And, and most of them are waiting for the government benefits here to kick in and then they're going to pay up in full. So that's been interesting to see. It hasn't been a big drop off from what we, I was expecting potentially like 30, 40% of people not paying rents. And so that's been yeah. kind of a pleasant surprise. Um, and then I, that could get worse. So I, I, I'm suggesting everyone in our companies and people I know to just, just be really careful with expenses. Um, it's a fine line because you really want to support small businesses and other businesses that are that are also impacted by this. And at the same time, you got to make sure that you survive this. Like make yeah. sure that you know if you own a lot of properties and you're good cash flow positions, you, you know, be really grateful that you're in that. And make sure you also want to make sure that for us, we have a lot of employees and people that we work with, and we really want to be careful, help them be careful, and make sure that we have money and. Everything set aside to to help employ them, to help keep them, you know, making money through this. Because it, it, it's if it's only a month or two, it's going to be yeah. relatively easy to get through. But if we're sitting here four or five months from now, you know, every little bit you save today could could go towards that. Keeping that person on as a salaried person, or, or you know, yeah. whatever whatever situation we're in in August, September, October that uh, that you might need cash for. So. You know, the market wide, and then beyond that, the market is definitely slowing down. So we've seen that over the last. Um, from a realtor's perspective, right. you know, it's pretty, pretty in that business is really good to gauge what's happening at the market. Cause we're seeing all the stats come through all the time. Um, definitely there's a lot less, it's very unique this time because typically you can sense, you know, how many showings are happening, how many people are coming through open houses on the weekends. And you can start to see the the downward trend or upwards trend in activity and, and get a sense of what, you know, where we're at buyer or seller market. 
Um, it's a lot more difficult now because there's naturally way less people seeing properties, but at the same time, there are still activities happening. People are still buying properties for the short term, at least. Um, they're just, they're not maybe showing them they're going through virtual tours. They're yeah. going, all the whole virtual world is opened up. Yeah. I was, um, I was speaking with Dylan and he was saying that he's just doing, they're going to the houses and just taking videos and, and then kind of posting them on YouTube, private links and sending them to potential uh, buyers, things like that. Yeah. I am sensing like from the investor's point of view, there's a lot of, it's slowing down regardless across the mm-hmm. board. It's slowing down. Yeah. Buyers are being just sitting on the fence. They're just waiting to see. Yeah. Um, fear, fearful minds tend to do that. They just, they don't do anything. They just wait and see. And so I think for the sophisticated investor, there's going to be a lot of opportunities that are either there now or that are going to start to appear over the next few months. So I think now more than ever, a great opportunity to, to build up your knowledge on this stuff, get to get, get your mind ready to, take some action, um, mm-hmm. smart action and, uh, and, and yeah. take advantage of some of these opportunities. I mean, I, really good quote I've heard recently and I've heard it before, but it's, it's coming up again a lot because we're maybe in the midst of one is a recession. Just never waste a good recession because yeah. uh, these opportunities only come around once a decade yeah. typically. And this is the yeah. time where investors really make a lot of money. Yes, this is this is a recession, and people will always try to time the bottom. And it's we're not functioning as a normal society right now, so it's really hard to gauge anything, as you've pointed out, because we're not functioning. Um, I don't believe that real estate markets, um, you know, if they're going to trend downward, I don't believe that it's an instant thing. Not like the stock market. If it is going to happen, it's a slower progression. Um, you know, you look at the states, two thousand nine to two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. It really took to to fully, you know adjust downward when it did. Um, you know, who knows what will happen here in Canada because of the amount of money that's being thrown around and what's going to happen when we come through this. I think the one, one thing that's interesting, and this is always in now, you know, starting to have these conversations again, bottoming out and trying to find where the bottom is going to be. It's impossible to know. But, and the biggest thing on that too, I, I guarantee everyone who says that is still not going to buy when we're at the bottom. No. Because you know what? It's a heck of a lot harder to buy properties yeah. when it's at the bottom. Because the reason it's at the bottom is because money is hard to get. Access to cash True. is difficult. Banks are yeah. way tighter. The banks will be tighter. You so, won't be able to take advantage. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to You're yeah. not gonna be in a better place. 99 out of 100 people or maybe even more are not going to be in a better place to take action. Yeah. The better place to take action is usually when it's, the markets are up and it's easier to access cash and everything. So yeah, a good deal is a good deal. There's, that's, the market doesn't matter. That's the key. And I think that people really need to not lose sight of the fact that it was always about fundamental investing. Like whatever your fundamental was, like if you had a loan to value that made you comfortable, if for me, it's a cash flow amount that made me comfortable or some people like the 1% rule, everybody's got their thing and their, you know, your market works for you. Uh, pick markets that you like the economics in long-term pick markets that you're going to hold houses in and you'd be willing to hold houses in long term, and that you're going to cash flow in regardless of if you're up or if you're down. Um, one thing that I think, and I'm very curious with you is, is, you know, you never know where this might go, but luxury goods might be the first thing to go if, if we have times of economic uncertainty. So we may see more people kind of steering towards more basic housing versus high-end finished housing. Do you have a gauge on that? Do you think that that's, that's the way this would play out if, if we are going to see a reduction in spending? Probably. I mean, usually the luxury market in, in real estate is hit the, the first, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, hit the quickest. And um, first-time buyer range is always safe. I, you know, for most first-time or early-on investors, that's usually the place they should get into um, just to be, mm-hmm. you know, have some sort of comfort with that. There's always going to be a demand for those 
those yeah. those basic houses i guess that we were talking about earlier yeah. like average finishes are always going to be pretty in demand because they're, they're affordable and uh, yeah and safe and safe for banks to lend on safe for everyone right so it's easy to access yeah. money for them i think it's definitely more you know there and there's people a lot of people in that space you know you watch the tv shows and stuff that are doing these luxury flips and big developments and all that <laughs> for sure those are going to get hit first those are not many people are buying anything yeah. right now. Um, and the longer this goes, there's going to be a lot less people yeah. buying stuff. And there's certainly not a lot of people buying luxury real estate. Yeah. Which means it's, you know, opportunity, right? There's always a silver lining. If less people are buying, then there is an opportunity there. It's just a matter of being able to put the pieces together and make the deal happen, which will be Definitely. the challenge, right? If the I banks mean, do tighten. I mean, you know what, if someone's that's so what in the realtor world, we're at, uh, any conversation we're having with someone who's looking to move up in price range right now, like they're looking to buy something more expensive, sell their current place, it's a great opportunity for that person because if the markets are good, let's say they did 10% across the board and you sell your house at 500 and you go buy a million dollar house, well, you just made a 50K spread there on that, on that, just on the basic market correction, right? So I think mm-hmm. there's opportunities in every market and you just need to be, mm-hmm. don't be like a, you know, just, hearing one headline here or there and just taking yeah. it for, for what it is. Just think about things, think about uh, anything you read and, and hear people say, and just think if it makes sense to you mm-hmm. and, um, and, and learn as much about the, the investment world as you can. So you can actually take real proper, like sophisticated uh, action towards yeah. it. And, and you'll find a lot of opportunities there. Totally. Oh yeah. There's so much, so much time to educate right now to, to consume all the content and, and then you'll be ready to take action when the time uh, comes. Now the time may yeah. be now, like if somebody brought me the right deal, I, I would consider buying it now. It, it really just depends on, on uh, how it looks. Um, so with that yeah. said, anything you would like to leave our uh, listeners with um, just as we wrap up here, knowing the situation going on, uh, you know, final word of wisdom that we can leave them with. Well, I think at any any this is relevant at any time in life, but it's more so relevant now. Maybe two things. Um, number one, the environment that you surround yourself with is absolutely crucial, and um, this is not just a real estate thing. This is every, everything in life. You need to have a great environment around you, supportive environment. Um, real estate investment world is great for that because we have you know generally across the board pretty pretty sharing culture that people like to give and, and help people out. So. Just be cognizant of who you're hanging around with. Uh, top five people, you're the sum of the top five people you hang around with. That can be looked at in terms of net worth or happiness or whatever mm-hmm. different category you want to put that into. There's a lot of fear out there. So obviously right now, you're looking after your mindset is really, really key, really important. Um, just not going through life like a... a you know, a, a, a goat, a sheep, I think is what people usually <laughs> refer to those people to just sheeple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sheeple. So just be, just be caught. Just think about your mindset every day. Like I, I, in the mornings, I always do my best to uh, write down some gratitude statements and just build up some energy for the day. <laughs> um, exercise, keep, you know, keep your body healthy. I think those are just, your mindset's super important right now. And it's also very, um, very, uh, as, as this virus is very contagious, your mindset is very contagious as well. And, uh, and so is the fear, but so is good, positive, you know, uh, supportive uh, yeah. efforts of everyone. So, you know, look after yourself first, look after your neighbors and, and everyone around you in your world second, and, and hopefully keep spreading some positive uh, vibes yeah. to this. And um, as a community and as a world, we'll get through this whole thing. But even yeah. in other times, you know, regardless of the virus right now, just normally day to day, it's very infectious yeah. to, to be that, that person. And, uh, that helps you in, in investing. It helps you in your business world. It helps you in your, your happiness level in general. Oh so. yeah. 
Yeah. Attitude is everything. It's everything. So yeah, that, that's great advice. And I appreciate that. And, and, uh, yeah, it's been a little hard. I'll admit Uh, it's been a little challenging for me, uh, with everything going on, not because of the investment world, but to me, like I'm just thinking economic perspective. I care about the Canada we have. I'm really passionate about preserving it and how we need to get back to work. We need to have a solution. And I've been talking about this a lot. We need to have some sort of a plan, which we don't currently have yet. Hopefully by the time people hear this, we do, Um, you know, to kind of keep Canada, the Canada we know and love because all these little small businesses that we care so much about, I want to see them stick around and be there at the other side of this. Well, that's the thing. It is, especially now more than ever, it is, there's a lot more fearfulness out there. There's a lot more stress around that stuff. That's, that's, that's fair. You can't just brush it on the rug. It's actually, it's, mm-hmm. it's real. And, um, you can look at like, there's really not much you can do. You can be positive about it, look for solutions and, and, yeah. and put your energy into activities to sure. help support it. Or you can just, you know, sit yeah. in the corner and sulk and, uh, and, and get depressed. <laughs> no, that's the key, I'd rather right? do the first one. <laughs> so I've been asking people to contact your MPs, like push them for a plan, do something positive, something constructive that's going to push this forward and help us, you know, help us keep these businesses alive and, and well, because yeah, there's all kinds of places that, you know, I'm going to want to be able to go out for dinner when, when this is all over. And I think we all, we can all agree there. So yeah, if I can add to what you said, and I really appreciate it is everybody stay calm, stay objective, you know, care for your neighbors, you know, encourage the people around you. Let's stick together. We're in this together. Um, and maybe don't go shopping at Costco, go, go to the local place because <laughs> I've seen those photos are yeah. absolutely insane that I, I haven't been out to see it yet. Cause we just got yeah. home, uh, eight, nine, nine days ago. I haven't even seen what that world looks like yet, but yeah. what maybe every day I, w- I would think about those things. And I'm going to be in the next few weeks, just thinking about the local businesses. And yeah. I would go to the local grocery guy or the local, you know, produce whatever local butcher like over yeah. going to costco or you know, yeah, some support of the big brands because because those brands will probably be okay but the local guys who who you know sit in there 10 plus hours a day on their own blood sweat and tears into the businesses they're gonna have challenges so i think we yeah. should support them more than ever they need us and they need us to speak up to uh government as well because what they've done for these small businesses is not even close to enough based on the fact that we're locked down Uh, i mean the Mm -hmm. best solution is we get back at it but the alternative is we got to do something else for them so anyways not to (laughs) not to go down that rabbit hole because this is something we could talk about all day Um, okay so sandy if people want to get in touch with you what what's the best way um, I, I mean, I'll give my, my, my cell phone even, they can text me, but if I can get my cell here, just don't call me. Cause I probably won't answer it depending on the, on the, on the time of day and whatnot, but you can text me. I'm always pretty good at text 416-567-3866. Um, they can go through our office line too, 289-389-6846 and, and someone will answer that all the time. But, uh, email to Sandy at McKay realty network.com. That's S A N D Y at McKay realty network.com. Yeah. M A C K A Y. Right. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Well, well, Sandy, if, uh, unless you got anything else you want to add to that, I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. No, that was a great show. I appreciate it. Is happy to share some of this stuff and, um, great convo. We've got some interesting stuff out of that. I hope people yeah. take away, you know, actually just do something with some of this information and don't just sit there yeah. and, and take it in for what it is. Go, go take some action, especially with some of the stuff we talked about at the end there. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Opportunities now. Keep your eyes open for opportunity. It is out there. There, it, there are deals still happening right now. It's just a matter of fundamentals, right? Make sure you're getting the right advice and doing the right research. But uh, anyways, okay. Thanks a lot, Sandy. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Andrew.
We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, And also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.